You're listening to audio from Harvest Bible Chapel, Philadelphia, where we believe in preaching the authoritative power of God's Word each and every week. For more content and information about our church, visit harvestphiladelphia.org. Go ahead and grab a copy of God's Word and meet me in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 this morning as we continue in our series, Embracing the Supremacy of Jesus Christ. To this point, we have defined supremacy as that thing or person who in your heart or in your mind uh, surpasses everything else in status, power, and authority. It's that thing or person that holds the position in your heart of prominence, preeminence, highest importance. Paul has been arguing through the book of Colossians that the one person who should reign supreme in our lives is Jesus Christ. Uh, Last week, he argued that Jesus has the right to reign supreme over our lives because he is supreme over creation itself. And this week, as we narrow the scope of Paul's argument, we will be focusing in on Christ's supremacy over the church. If you follow along with me in verses 18 through 20, I'm going to begin in verse 18. It says this. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. I'm sorry, I skipped a few verses. Let me start over. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, verse 20, and that through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's bow together in prayer. And if we could get the lights up, Robin, if that would be possible, that I'll, I'll deal with it if it's possible. Father, we do pray and ask God this morning as we come to you, Uh, God, that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from this book. God, that you would open our ears to hear your voice through the messenger that you have brought today. But Father, we also pray, God, that you would open our hearts to receive Jesus Christ as the supreme ruler of our lives. Father, we pray, God, this morning as we gather together that this would not be Um, just a typical gathering of your people, but your spirit would move with power in our midst, that the gospel would change our lives, and that, God, your word would not return void. God, would you answer the deep questions of our hearts and of our minds from your word? Questions, God, that we might not even realize we're asking God, would you answer those questions, bring confidence to our hearts, contentment in our lives. Father, would you transform us to be like Jesus? In his name we pray, amen. When you hear the term church, what comes to mind? What pictures pop into your head when I say the term church? Now, if you're like the average person, maybe you think of a church building with a steeple, or maybe you think of a preacher or a certain relationship, 
maybe you think of missions trips, or maybe you think of um, some special experience that you've had in your life. I know for me, if someone had asked me what I thought of uh, when I heard the term church when I was younger, I would have thought, boring. Because typically when I went to church and I was a younger kid, I would go to church and I would fall asleep during the pastor's sermon. So it's ironic that I'm up here doing that very thing now and hoping and praying to God that I don't bore you to tears. But I think also for a lot of people, um, they think of hurt. Um, I think there's a lot of church hurt in our culture today. And there's a lot of baggage wrapped up in this term church, isn't there? There's a lot of pictures that come to our minds. And so I wanted to ask four theologians uh, what they thought of, uh, four theologians who maybe didn't have baggage wrapped up in this term church. And so I asked my girls, Addie, Emmy, Carrie, and Izzy, these four budding theologians on Friday morning, what is the church? And I got some amazing answers from them. Would you like to hear them? These are not doctored. These are not coerced. These are not uh, pastrified. These are just what my girls said. Carrie said, it's a place that we learn, I'm sorry, it's a place that we learn about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Addie said, it's the place we see others and worship Jesus together with them. That's pretty good. Emmy said, Daddy, it's a people, not a place. And then we looked over at Izzy, and Izzy's just like, I said, Izzy, what is the church? And she goes, Jesus? And I said, Izzy, that's the best answer yet. I think they don't carry the baggage that a lot of us carry when it comes to this idea of church. And what I want to do is I want to go into this text right now. And I just want to set aside, lay aside all the baggage that we tend to carry with us when we hear this term church. I just want to focus on what God says about it. I want to focus on what God calls the church and why the church is so amazing that God would call it his bride. And I think if we can do that, we might get some clarity around this thing called church. We might, I don't know, gain some excitement about it. Because a lot of people, when you ask them about the church, like excitement's probably the last thing that comes to mind. But I also think we might get some healing. That sound good? So again, let's ask this question at verse 18. The first question I just want to ask is this, what is the church? Verse 18 says this, and he is the head of the body of the church. Now to get some context in verses 18 through 20, which we're going to spend our time on today, it's all birthed out of verses 13 and 14 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And that's where Paul described to us how Jesus Christ came to earth to rescue us, to transfer us out of what was called the concentration camp of sin and death, and to transfer us, to move us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And what we saw in that text is that what Jesus has done is in moving us out of the concentration of camp of sin and death and into his beloved son, he has made us citizens of a kingdom but we don't have the land yet, which means we're citizens of a kingdom, a kingdom that has not yet come. That kingdom is coming in the future. We will inherit the land. We will occupy that space. But until then, we are citizens without a place. That's why the Bible frequently refers us as 
foreigners, wanderers, strangers, pilgrims, because this world is not our home. As the old hymn says, we're just passing through. And so what that means is now, as Paul has introduced this idea of a kingdom that's already not yet, that we're already the citizens, but we do not yet have the land. Now he introduces this idea of church. And what is the church? Well, to put a very simple point on it, the church is a heavenly outpost. The church is a place where the citizens who do not yet have land gather together to accomplish the mission of the king who is to come. Does that make sense? So what we are is God has taken all of these people that he has transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and brought them into the kingdom of light. He has labeled us the church, which means the church is not a building. It is a people. You are the church. You are the church. You are the church. You are the church. Are you capital C church? No, you little C church. But we are the church. And what God does is he gathers those people together in little local churches where we do life together. And he has positioned the church in the midst of God's creation. Now, the progression of thought in the text is important because he starts talking about the kingdom that we have been rescued out of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. Then he talks about his creation, and he describes how Jesus is sovereign all over all of creation. And now he brings up the church. And we understand that the creation, by and large, is ruled by darkness. So he mentions the church, and he says this. The church, who are God's people, who have been rescued out of darkness into light, God has placed them in the midst of enemy territory. Capiche? Am I preaching? We are rescued people who live in enemy territory, who are still surrounded by the kingdom of darkness and people who do not yet know Jesus. We live in God's creation that is yet to be redeemed. And why? Why, God, why doesn't God just take us out? Why doesn't God just rescue us from this creation, this mess, this broken world? Why doesn't he pull us out? Ask me why. Why? Because God wants to reveal himself to the world through the church. That's why God has redeemed us, is to reveal to the world, an unbelieving world, his supremacy, and he does it through the church. A lot of people in our culture will say, I cannot believe in a God who would allow evil, suffering, and war into this world, to which we ought to be able to say, if you want to see the proof, if you want to see the evidence that God is real, if you want to see the evidence that God exists and he is working and he is moving and he is actively engaged in his creation now, where do you look? Because you got to look somewhere. Look to the church. That is where we ought to be able to see the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the one place on the earth where God manifests his power through radically transformed lives. This is where the world should be able to look and see the evidence of a God 
that exists. Amen? For example, um, Kanye West recently, I don't know if you're familiar with Kanye West, he's a pretty um, prominent in uh, the hip-hop scene, in the secular hip-hop scene, Um, a guy who traditionally you would not think of as spiritual or Christian. But as of recently, um, he started attending a church out in California in the L.A. area. Uh, So Kanye West walks, I mean, just imagine like Kanye West walking into our auditorium right now, okay? That'd be a pretty unique thing. But he came to church, he kept coming to church, and he quote-unquote got saved. Now, I've heard so many stories about Hollywood characters getting saved, and you hear of their transformation and blah, 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 and it doesn't stick. You ever heard of those? But what was fascinating about Kanye's story was this, that the pastor of this church was a master's seminary grad right out of John MacArthur's seminary. I trust John MacArthur with my life. And so when I knew that this guy was a seminary grad from John MacArthur, I knew he's preaching the gospel, he's preaching the scriptures, he's not cutting short on sin, he's calling a spade a spade, he's preaching the word of God. And if Kanye's going to his church, something's happening. And so they interviewed this pastor, and they said, well, yeah, Kanye's been coming to your church, and what's going on here? I mean, is this legit? Because, like, is this just a publicity son? Is this a way for him to kind of get more whatever? And the pastor said this, his conversion is real. Here's what they said, because this interviewer was skeptical. Kanye, you, say, you keep talking about five weeks ago. What happened five weeks ago? And he said this. This is Kanye West. I was just under the weight of my sin. I was being convicted that I was running from God. I, needed, I knew I needed to make things right, and so I came to Christ. I came out of the darkness. I came into the light. He goes on to say, I believe in the Bible. I believe in Jesus. I have been radically saved. Now, what God does with situations like this, circumstances, stories like this, is he takes them and he plops them right into the middle of darkness where people look at the church and like, y'all crazy for believing and a Jewish preacher that was crucified and killed by his own people, y'all crazy. And he takes people like Kanye who were as far from God as you could possibly think and he radically changes their lives and all of a sudden the world starts looking at him like, how on earth does this happen? And so what God does is he places the citizens of the kingdom of light into the midst of darkness to prove one thing. That politics ultimately will never change our nation. Science will ultimately never change our hearts. Education will never ultimately make us better. Economics is not ultimately the answer to our woes. Only Jesus Christ can change the human heart. That is the purpose of The church is to be light in the midst of brokenness and darkness. And he goes on here in the text. He says, and he is the head of the body, the church. Note this, that he calls the body or the church a a body. The church has a lot of different terms that are described described the, uh, the church and what it is throughout the scriptures. The body is the number one description. And here's why, because body describes mutual dependency. That is that the church is not just me and Jesus and nothing more. 
This is crucial in our American culture where we are so hopped up on self-made individualism where it's just me against the world. No, it's not. It's not just me and Jesus. It's me and we. The church is the place where many parts make up the whole. You're a part. You're a part. You're a part. I'm a part. We're a part. And we all bring different gifts, talents, and abilities to the whole so that the whole functions properly when all of the parts are gathered, but conversely, the parts seem to lose their purpose in life when they're not connected to the whole. The whole needs the part. The part needs the whole, and the circle goes on and on and on. And that's why throughout the New Testament, you find that the word together is used over 450 times because you and I need each other to accomplish all the things that God has called us to do and to be everything that God has called us to be in this world. We cannot do it alone. The part is useless without the whole. The whole cannot function without the part. And the church is placed in the midst of enemy territory to show a lost and dying world a love that cannot be found anywhere else. They will know we are Christians by our... You see, when one part of the church hurts, what is supposed to happen? The whole hurts. You ever get a rock in your shoe? It hurts, doesn't it? Now, what does it affect? Does it just affect your foot? No, what does it affect? I got my elbows kicking out. I got my shoulders popping up. My neck's going to start to hurt. My hips are going to go out of place. My back's going to start to hurt. When the foot hurts, the whole body hurts. And the point of the, the illustration is this. When one person in the church hurts, we all hurt. When one part is experiencing crisis, the whole comes to offer help. When one part is experiencing loss, the whole comes to support. When one person or one part doesn't know what to do, the whole comes to offer wisdom. When one part is hurting, the whole comes to comfort. The part needs the whole, the whole needs the part, and the circle goes on and on and on. That is what the church is called to do. And that's why God takes the church and puts it in the middle of enemy territory to show the world something that the world can't find anywhere else. The church is a heavenly outpost of kingdom citizens awaiting the return of the king that is called to function as a body. And may I say this, Harvest, I think we have nailed the event of church. When it comes to Sunday morning, Sunday morning's great. Do you like coming to Sunday morning? That was a great spot for an amen. (laughs) Amen. We got the Sunday morning thing nailed. But the body thing, how are we doing? Are Are we crushing it? Are we killing it? Are we nailing it? I think we all agree. We got a lot of work to do. Now, there could be a lot of reasons as to why we struggle to function as an actual body. Maybe it's because we're all coming from different areas. Maybe because we're all super busy. Maybe it's because we've got a lot going on in life. But if we are going to actually function as a body, what's it going to take for us to accomplish that? 
Is it going to take some sacrifice? Is it going to require handing our calendar over to Jesus and saying, I've made some plans on Saturday and Sunday, but maybe, Jesus, your plans are more important than mine. Is it going to require some work? A couple of thoughts on this, and I I hope you don't mind me taking my time on this, but I feel like this is really important. I, I know that we talk a lot about we want to get into a church building, we want to get a place, we need 250 people and 250,000 in the bank. But at the end of the day, that is not what's important. What is important is that we be a church of people, kingdom of light citizens who are actually shining bright in the midst of a lost and dying community. That's the important piece. But here's the thing. If we're not crushing it on Sunday... What makes us think we're going to crush it on Monday? We should be kicking this out of the park. Kicking this out of the park? Hitting this out of the park? It works. A couple of thoughts on this. If we want to nail church itself, just church attendance, a couple of things. Let's commit to regular attendance. And I say that because the average American, the average Christian American today only attends church less than 50% of the year, 50% of Sundays. Now, when I was growing up, it was Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You remember those days, Nate? I mean, you just, the doors were open, you went to church, and now the average Christian goes less than 50% of the year. How can we be a body if we don't actually get together? Another thought Be early. What does it communicate to people when our visitors show up on time and more than half of our people show up at 10.15? I'm going to be just super on the notes. It tells those visitors we don't take this seriously. This matters. Amen? Another thought. Stay late. Don't run out the door. If we're going to be a body, okay, then the toe has to know the foot. The foot has to know the ankle. The ankle has to know the knee. The knee has to know the femur. The femur has to know the hip. The hip has to, do I need to go on? We need to know each other. We need to spend time together. We need to uh, actually have relationships together with each other. Invite each other into each other's homes. Let's be hospitable toward one another. Let's get to know each other. Let's go across the aisle to someone that we've never met before and say, hey, I've never met you before. I'm not sure how long you've been coming here. My name is, what is your name? Let's spend time together. Let's get in small groups together and actually share our lives together. I love my small group and I love meeting with my small group because that's where I get to around the word of God, share my heart and spend time with people who know me and I know them. Let's serve each other. It's hard to love people that you never serve. But as soon as I start serving you and I invest in you, now I care about your life. Let's serve each other. Some of us might say, well, Pastor Matt, are we putting a little bit too much emphasis on Sunday morning?" Let's put it like this. Sunday morning 
is like the the wood-burning stove in the factory. It's not the work and it's not the totality of the work, but if the fire goes out, the work stops. This is important, what we do right here, right now. And I'm not, I'm driving this home because I'm not totally convinced that all of us believe that. We need to be the church. We need to gather as the church to be the light in a dark, dying world. That's why Jesus has given us the church. Now, here in the rest of the text, I know I've spent a lot of time on that. Thank you for bearing with me. I want to give you four very brief reasons as to why Jesus Christ is head of the church. It says here in verse 18, and let me review this. We are a kingdom outpost of heavenly citizens who are awaiting the return of our king. Until he returns, the church is to reveal to the world that Jesus is alive and real. And so verse 18, we find he's the head of the body, the church. Four reasons why Christ reigns supreme over his church. Number one, he's the head of the church. In other words, where the head goes, the body goes. Where the head goes, the body goes. If Jesus Christ leads us somewhere, the body needs to follow. John chapter 20, verses 21 says this, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. The reason why Jesus Christ has put the church in the midst of our community, the reason why Jesus, let me be specific, the reason why Jesus has put Harvest Bible Chapel in King of Prussia, in Upper Marion, in the middle of Philadelphia, is to reveal the head. As our community sees the hands and feet functioning in its community, it points to the reality of the head of Jesus Christ. The reason why we do things like food pantry, the reason why we do things like trunk or treat, the reason why we do things like community day, the reason why we do things like... um, Operation Christmas Child? Is it just for social engagement? Is it purely to serve our community? No. We serve to reveal the head, Jesus Christ, so that we can point to him. That's why I love when our food pantry people, they go into homes. They don't just serve people food. They then share the love of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist, because Jesus Christ is the head, the body reveals the head. Number two, he is the firstborn of the church. Verse 18, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And Jesus says in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. That is that God in Christ created and sustained all of creation. And though creation has been corrupted by sin and death, Jesus steps into our sin and death to be the firstborn from among the dead.
Pray with me just for a second. Father, I want to bow before you, God. I come before you and I recognize, God, I am weak, frail. Right now, I am so distracted. I am struggling to keep two thoughts together. God, what we are talking about is so important. And right now, I feel like I'm utterly failing you to communicate how important this is. God, please, would you move on our behalf right now? Give me clarity of mind and give us agreement with you. God, I am sick and tired of just coming to church to watch a show. God, would you work, please, in our midst? God, our future is in you and in you alone. Please, God, move. We need you to, in Jesus' name, amen. I love this church with all of my heart. And I know we have a future. But we have got to fight for it. I can't pull a magic rabbit out of my hat. I can't just go out and find a church building for us. We have to own what this text is talking about. Amen? And I guess I'm just burdened for that that you guys would own this the way I've been trying to own this for eight years? That you guys would carry the weight of this the way we have had to carry the weight of this for eight years? Because until that happens, this is just gonna stay the same. This will never change. Now, barring a miracle, we'll always be stuck in here. King of Prussia is not going to hand us a building. We're not going to get anywhere unless we own this together. So I, please hear my heart when I say this. I don't mean this to scold. I don't mean this to be harsh. I love our church, and I want us to have a future, but we have got to own this. And I don't know why I'm struggling to communicate this today, but hear my heart. God has great plans in store for us. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that because Jesus Christ is the firstborn from among the dead. I believe it because Jesus Christ was the prototype. He was not the first person in Scripture to be resurrected from the dead, but he was the first person in all of history to conquer the grave. And because of that, we know that our physical death is not the end and is not separation from God, but it's a doorway and a stepping stone into our eternity, into our future home where we live with the king forever. That means that death, spiritual death, 
has been conquered. Physical death has been conquered through the firstborn from among the dead who is the head of the church. His name is Jesus Christ. And so what that means for us is that we must be born again. Jesus said, if you want to experience eternal life, you must be born of water, you must be born of spirit. You are born of your mother, but you must be born again of the Holy Spirit. That means this, that just coming to church, just being good, just recycling, just doing your best in this life is not what is required of you to have eternal life and be made alive spiritually. You must be born again. Jesus Christ must be your Savior. You must recognize you are sinful. You must understand you are separated from a holy God that demands perfection from you. And you must recognize you can never give your God perfection. So Jesus Christ accomplished it for you so that you could be born again in you. You must be born again. And when you are born again, your physical death is just a stepping stone into your future life. Many of you have been asking about my dad and how my dad is doing. And if you don't know, if you're relatively new, you will know that, um, or if you're not new, you will know that my dad has been battling cancer um, for about two or three years. And because of the nature of my dad's cancer, it produces these sticky proteins. So he has to take blood thinners constantly to keep the protein from collecting and causing blood clots and strokes and ultimately death. Um, but recently, what has developed is my dad has, because of the cancer, um, begun, he has advanced osteoporosis. So his back, which already has a fusion in it, is falling in on itself. So as his back caves in, he needs back surgery to straighten his back out so that it doesn't sever his spinal cord. But to do that, he has to come off the blood thinners, but to come off the blood thinners means you could have a stroke and you could die. But if you don't come off of that, you could sever your own spinal cord because your back would just go. So what do you do? So on November 6th, my dad. He's going to have surgery. He's terrified, and so am I. Terrified of what it could do to him physically. But if you ask my dad, is he afraid to die? Not at all, because he knows what awaits him. Because Jesus Christ is the firstborn among the dead. And because Jesus Christ has given him new life spiritually, one day he's gonna give him a new body physically. And so, quite honestly, there are times where my dad is just like, Lord, take me home. And though we don't want that, he's firstborn among the dead. And so what God does is he takes the church, he puts us in the middle of a broken world, and he gives us a sense of peace and joy and stability in the midst of circumstances like this that my dad is going through, that the world just kind of looks at it. Like, how, 
How do you have peace? How do you have hope? How do you have joy? How do you have stability in your life? It's because we're looking beyond this life to our next life where all things will be made new. That's why God puts the church in the middle of our culture, lost and dying. Are we tracking? Okay, so that's verse 18. Verse 19. (laughs) Thank you for bearing with me today. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There's a lot of debate over how to interpret this verse. I think it's best interpreted this way. God has was pleased to have all the fullness of his character, his attributes, and his power dwell in Jesus Christ. That is to say that Jesus Christ in human form, though limited his rights during his earthly ministry, did not lose his essence, did not cease to be fully God. And the reason why that's important for Paul to say that is because During Paul's day, there were thousands and thousands of Greek gods that all had a slice of the power of the gods. So Hermes was the god over money, and Aphrodite, the god over sex, and and Apollo, the god over music. But what Paul is saying here is this. When Jesus Christ came to this earth and wrapped himself in human flesh, he was the fullness of God. He was not a sliver of God. He did not have a piece of God's power. He had all of it, all the attributes, All the activities of God were manifest fully in and through Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9 says this. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Everything that God is, Jesus was. And here's what that means for us. Chapter 2, verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You have been filled in him. Christ's body, the church, us, we are filled, we are made full, we are made complete, we are satisfied in this life where? With what? Are we, do we find our completeness, our fullness, our satisfaction in this life with our stuff? Ultimately, with human relationships, our cars, our houses, our homes, fulfilling the American dream. No, we find them in what? Who? Jesus Christ. If you look around the world and you look at people who have achieved the pinnacle of human accomplishment, Deion Sanders, when he got to the top of accomplishment in the NFL and he won the Super Bowl, he says he went to bed later that night. You know why? Crying. You know why? Because when he got to the top, he realized it wasn't that satisfying. I remember when my dad moved into uh, their brand new home. He had, he had achieved success as a dentist, and he was able to design his own home. And he sat in his kitchen, kind of despondent in his kitchen chair. And I was sitting across from him, and he looked at me, and he just said, they're just walls. He, he had arrived at this place of human accomplishment where he had built the, the house that he had always dreamt of, and when he finally got in it, he looked around and he says, they're just walls. It didn't fulfill, it didn't satisfy, it didn't complete him in the way he thought it would. Jeffrey Epstein, if you know anything about Jeffrey Epstein, the man who, the sexual predator who was almost a billionaire, you would think a guy who has Billions of dollars, millions of dollars at least, could, would have a satisfied life. And yet, 
He took his own life in a prison cell because he wasn't complete. If you watch the old movie Jerry Maguire, you remember that scene where he says, you remember, Dan? You complete me. If you are in Christ, you are complete. 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 If you are single, you don't have to be lonely. You are complete in Christ. If you're in a bad relationship, you don't have to be miserable because you are fulfilled in Christ. If your dream didn't happen, you aren't a failure because you are in Christ. If you have suffered incredible loss, this is not the end because you are in Christ. If you have unbelievable tangled knots in your life that you can't seem to unravel, there is hope for you because you are in Christ. And that's why God takes the church, his people, and places us right in the middle of our broken culture because he wants to show the world that those who are in Christ are complete, are filled, are full, are satisfied in a way that the world cannot accomplish. The church finds its fullness in Christ, and finally, Christ has reconciled the church to himself. It says here in verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood. Real quick, does this mean that um, love wins and universalism is what the Bible teaches, that everybody's gonna go to heaven? Shake your head, do this. Okay, here's what this means. Every created being will ultimately acknowledge who is the supreme ruler of all of the universe. Though they will acknowledge it with their lips, they might not acknowledge it with their hearts. One day, as Philippians 2 says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, whether throne, dominion, ruler, authority, visible or invisible, every knee will bow before the lordship, the sovereignty, the supremacy, the preeminence, Jesus Christ. So what does it mean here? To reconcile all things, whether in heaven and earth, making peace by his blood. In the context, we see that this is the people of God that God has reconciled. That God has made peace between us and God through the cross of Jesus Christ by shedding his blood on the cross. Let me get a couple of guys to help me out real quick. I saw this. This was a helpful picture. Help me wrap my mind around what Jesus has done. I, um, I, I emptied out my bank account this morning. And I got some cash. And uh, so who wants it? Oh, okay. All right, that was, that was pretty fast. So I got, I got $200 here, so you can go ahead and count it, make sure it's yours. But I got these two guys here, and these guys have been friends for a long time, CJ and Will. They go way back. But I want you to imagine that uh, one day, CJ is counting all of his cash and just thinking, man, life is good, life is exciting. And Will comes along, and he just says, hey, I, I like that. I, I, I like all that money. I'm just going to go ahead and take that. So Will takes the money and he took, <laughs> now don't go too far, all right, stay right there. Um, are, are these guys good or is their relationship, you say it's broken, it's broken. 
something. So I come along and I say, well, hey, I'm going to reconcile these guys. I'm going to make peace between two people who are not at peace with each other right now. And by the way, this is what I spend every day doing with my four little girls. I mean, just reconcile, like, okay, talk to your sister. What happened? Why? What? And I try not to lose my mind. And so I'm going to try not to lose my mind with these guys. So um, Will, all I want you to do is just come over and shake CJ's hand and, and, and we're going to be good, right? Go ahead and shake his hand. Can you be good yet? Why not? He still has got the money. What needs to happen? And say, for instance, Will just goes out and he buys a whole new wardrobe. He's going to get some bling. He's going to take care of his shoes. He's going to get a nice little haircut. He's going to get some. And he comes back and like, we want to be cool. What do we do now? That's where Jesus Christ came. And he said, whatever it is, I'll settle the bill. I will pay the debt. And what's Jesus' credit limit? It's the stars in the sky, the cattle on a thousand hills. Is there any credit limit to what Jesus can pay? And you see, in a thousand little ways, we have robbed God of his glory. And how do we ever pay him back? We cannot. So Jesus comes in, And he pays the debt by shedding his blood so that he can make us right and give us peace (laughs) through the blood of the cross. That's reconciliation. Thank you very much, my friend. I appreciate that. (laughs) And here's why this is important, because this is the foundation for every human reconciliation known man. The reason why we in the church are able to forgive each other, even when a person doesn't fully own it, is because the foundation of forgiveness has been laid through the cross of Jesus Christ. That we not only have vertical reconciliation, we can have horizontal forgiveness. That's how the church is different. And what God does is he takes the church, he puts it into the middle of a broken world, And he says, look at these people who are able to forgive each other and to reconcile with each other when they have deep division and deep hurt. They are able to reconcile because their Savior has paid the price for their sin in full. The church is a place, a people that God has placed in the middle of enemy territory. He's positioned the citizens in the enemy's camp to reveal the supremacy of Jesus Christ through us. That is the beauty of this thing called the church. The church is beautiful, though marred. It is powerful, though broken. It reflects Christ, though imperfectly. And it does it through service, through suffering, through satisfaction, through reconciliation, the church matters. Father, I pray, God, because the church matters so much, God, that you would grow our church.
God, my, my heart doesn't run so much to the numerical, though obviously that needs to happen for our long term. But God, that you would grow us. Grow our confidence in your word. Grow our confidence in the cross. Grow our confidence in Christ. That we would take this thing, the church, seriously. Because we are the church. Father, help us to respond well this morning. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this audio from Harvest Bible Chapel, Philadelphia. For more audio, content, and information about our church, visit harvestphiladelphia.org.